why do we struggle against sin? Why do we struggle in our relationships with certain people? Why do we struggle to make decisions, and often the right decision? Why are there so many struggles in the things that we go through? And what if I told you, what if the reason that we struggle with a lot of things in our lives is because we lack a vast view of what God has done and wants to do with you? What if we are struggling because we are so focused on this moment and the struggle of what's going on now that we have not been able to look outward and see the vastness, the tremendous view of our salvation in Christ? There was a king who had a son who was going to take his place as dynasties go. And so he felt it his obligation to take his son to the highest point of the kingdom and there to show him the kingdom. Son, this is what you will rule. This, from that horizon to this horizon, you will rule all of this. And some of us have seen this. To me, it was very powerful in the movie The Lion King, where Mufasa the dad takes his son, Simba, and says, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. And that puts into perspective the responsibility And the severity of what he's about to take on is that this is enormous. And when we come to Ephesians, what we are doing is we are opening up a book in which the Apostle Paul is giving us a mountaintop view of our land, the kingdom of God, our inheritance in Christ, that which we are called and brought into and have a responsibility to walk through and own. He's giving us that view, and he's saying, this is what it looks like. This book is breathtaking in its beauty, and it is impactful in its power. People often ask, right? You've probably been asked too, you've probably thought about it. If I I could only keep one book of the Bible, if you're stranded on an island and you can only tear out a few pages, what would they be? And without a doubt, uh, well, if it's only a few pages, it would be Ephesians. The Psalms would come very close, but you can't do that in a few. So, Ephesians is by far my favorite book. And um, had a blast with my students this year going and making them go through this book in depth. And it was great. So, I'm really excited that you guys get to look at Ephesians tonight. So, let's jump in um, with verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed is the first word. After the whole introduction, blessed is the first word. And hence tonight we're titling this message Blessed Beyond Belief because I think one of the struggles we have in life is that we don't believe what we've been blessed with. And the first word blessed should take us all the way back to the first place that blessed is used in the Bible. After God creates the heavens and the earth, it says that he blessed them. He blessed the birds of the sea. Uh, no, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He, he might have done that too, but then he reversed it. And he also then blessed the human creatures that he made. Blessed is a word that takes us all the way back to the very origins, the very foundations of the good world that God created. In other words, blessed is what happens when things are working the way the creator designed them to be. 
And Paul begins this letter with blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So now we come to this fact where blessed is now thrown out three times, and he's t- we're told that we are blessed in the past tense. He has blessed you in Christ. He has blessed you. And this is where we make the first connection to the book of Joshua. You may remember, and you might want to go back and see, that in Joshua chapter 1, this is how that book opens up as well. However, the terminology is going to be slightly different. Listen to the similarity and the slight nuance. Joshua 1 verse 1. You can listen if you don't want to get lost and miss everything. Joshua 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, Yahweh said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore... Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. That's your setting. Now listen to the similarity to Ephesians. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. And Joshua is told, way before Jesus, that every place his foot treads, that land has already been given to him. And so here, Ephesians is taking this um, group of Jesus believers who are not inheriting a promised land, but they are inheriting promises in Christ. And just as Israel had this land that was given to them, they simply had to enter it and seize it. God has given to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and it's for us to walk into and seize. It's already been given, which is so cool to know that every, every, did you see the word every in Ephesians? Every spiritual blessing has been given, which means there is no half-baked Christian. There's no half-blessed Christian. I was not more blessed than you were, and they were not more blessed than you were. We were all equally blessed with the fullness of the blessedness of the Creator God that created the world good. He's given all of that blessing to us now. And hence I wonder if because we don't see this blessing that is beyond our capability to believe, if this is why we struggle with relationships and sin in life. Do we even understand the magnitude of the Creator God giving us every spiritual blessing? So, because Paul assumes that we don't understand, guess what he does? He shows us these blessings. He gives us that view of the land, the lay of the land. Which, by the way, Joshua does too. Right after he's told that every place a soul of his foot treads upon, it says in verse 4, it gives them the lay of the land. It says, from the wilderness of in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So Joshua, here, this boundary to that boundary, all all of this is yours. Just put your foot there and it's yours. 
And then Ephesians chapter 3. It's told us every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. And now verses 4 all the way through 14 are going to give us the lay of that land. This is what the blessings look like. Here are the boundaries. And by the way, this is all one long run-on sentence in the Greek. 202 words without a period. And by the way, I could do that. I could do that if I sat down on my laptop and typed and hit delete a lot to make the wording worked up to this long of a sentence with this impactful amount of theology and blessings we have in Christ. I could do that with the backspace key and a lot of editing. Paul dictated this to a scribe. There's no backspace. He is just spewing off the top of his heart what he has enjoyed in Christ. To sit down with this guy would have been great. So, verse 4. Here we go. Even as he, this is God, even as God chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So before the world was even created, so he's going back to the beginning, This our blessings start there, that God chose us before he even started this whole thing. In other words, he created the world to allow us to join into the great fellowship and love and fulfillment that Father, Son, and Spirit were enjoying from eternity beginning he made everything so that we could be chosen to participate in him and now paul's saying you've been chosen in him from before the foundations of the earth so we go back to creation verse 5 in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved verse 7 so we've seen in him we were chosen at creation now in verse 7 another in him blessing in him we have redemption through his blood redemption through his blood this means deliverance this means release this means you were once in bondage and he redeemed which means he purchased you at the cost of his blood he purchased you to bring you out so that you could be set free and so what started with creation and blessing and now goes to the exodus story doesn't it how israel was released from egypt their bondage by the blood of a lamb we are released from our bondage to ourselves and our selfishness and our sins and our struggles by the blood of jesus we have been redeemed we've been purchased and released and so that's our second blessing that he has redeemed us through his blood and then in verse 11 the third in him we have obtained an inheritance. Creation, freedom from slavery, and now inheritance. Creation of the world, Israel released from Egypt, and entering the promised land, their inheritance. See what Paul's doing. You, Christian, and Israel are both, just like in the book of Joshua, we're on the same track. They had an inheritance, and it was land, and it was flowing with milk and honey. You have an inheritance, and it's in Christ, and it contains every spiritual blessing already given to you. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, this is attached to our inheritance, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Christian, you and I have this inheritance. We're not all living in the best parts of it. Some of us have only scratched the surface of what's already been given to us. We're like Israel who crosses the Jordan River, enters into the land, and we're like, this is good. This little area right here, I'm cool here for the rest of my life because there are bad guys and I don't want to move forward and it's going to be challenging and hard. This is good. And some of us are like, yay, Jesus saved me. This is good. I go to church every now and then. That's about it. I take communion here or there. This is good. This is fine. Um, We are not claiming possession of the whole inheritance. And by the way, it is so unfathomably vast that we never will. Until Christ literally returns to this earth, we will never fully possess everything he has. That will happen when heaven and earth unite in, in what we call heaven, eternity. He will then, we will finally possess our entire inheritance. But until then, until then, while we take our first baby steps into this inheritance, and there's a huge amount of blessedness unattained, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee that all of it will come later. You're entering, you're like, how do I know this is all still going to be here for me? God says, the Holy Spirit, who is the fruit of this inheritance, I am giving to him, I'm giving him to you now as evidence that you will get the rest later. That's really cool. And so the Holy Spirit working in our lives is the promise that God is going to give us the rest one day. That, friends, is the 202-word sentence which gives us the lay of the land. These are the blessings you have in Christ. And Paul says this off the top of his head. Which then leads him to say, you know what? I know that these are blessings beyond belief. So, let me help you with this. So he enters into a prayer. This prayer, in verse 15, goes to the end of the chapter as a single sentence. Yeah, Paul is big on big sentences at the beginning. You can tell he was really excited and didn't take a breath. So, for this reason, because of everything you just heard, and that is really difficult for us to grasp. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in Lord Jesus Christ and the love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is what he's praying, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Or in other words, I'm praying that you will have the wisdom to know God and a revelation to know God. Because he is big. You need help. So in 18, he also prays that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. Again, so that you would be able to see this. Because this is blessing beyond belief. And then he prays, um, he continues to pray that they would, um, that they would, um, know their calling, um, know the inheritance they have in him, and know the immeasurable power at work in them. So, okay, here we go. The view of the land. It's just been given. Here you go, Christian. You are like Israel entering into a promised land. We have Christ, who, by the way, Christ's name is Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the Greek variant of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua led Israel into the promised land. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. Jesus is leading us into the blessings of God, our promised land. And his name in Hebrew is Yeshua. 
And so here's what we see is Joshua led Israel into the land and he fought battles for them. Jesus is leading us into our blessings and he has already fought the battle for us. And this is what we're going to see in the next chapter. So he's shown us our inheritance and the land and our blessings. And now we're going to see how Jesus, as our Joshua, has already fought the battle. And he's paved the way so that we can go in without resistance. He has paved the way so that we can enter into this land. So, how has he done this? Chapter 2. You, by the way, were not in good health at the time. 2 verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. (laughs) Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the deceitful desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, the Canaanites whom were cursed to destruction, that's you. You were by nature children of wrath, but something changed and you were now made to inherit these blessings. Here's what changed, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, which is a picture of being a slave to your sin, like Egypt, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We not only have these blessings in Christ, we literally sit in his position We sit in his position. He's the son of the king. He sits at the right hand of the king. And this passage just said that he raised us up and put us at that very seat with him. In other words, everything that the king's son inherits, you and I inherit as well. Son of the king, daughter of the king, we are wealthy beyond belief. We are blessed beyond belief. Jesus is the one who in his great mercy and grace reached down to bridge this gap for us. He included us. He reached out to us. This is how it has happened. He has made the way. And now we continue and see some more detail about it. If you look down at chapter 2, verse 13, we read this. It is saying that you once were far away. You were alienated from these blessings. But in 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There it is again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You were brought near. You were outside the blessings. You were outside the promised land. He brought you in through his blood. And here's where it gets radically crazy and different. Joshua went in and won the battles. 
and didn't die. Jesus went into the battle and it wasn't the blood of his enemies that brings us in. It was his own blood that brings us in. That's a great cost and that's how much we count and matter to him. It's not just happenstance, like, okay, God, I guess we got to keep these children of God with me. It's like siblings, right? Like, do they really have to share the inheritance with me? Nope. He wanted you to share this with him so much, he shed his own blood. This is our way in. It's through Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3, Paul talks a lot about why he's in prison, but then he gives another prayer. And this prayer ends epically. And I need you to think with me, Joshua, land big and hear this prayer. He's praying uh, this in verse 18. He prays that we, verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend. Okay, these are blessings beyond belief. So I'm praying that you have the strength to comprehend this. (laughs) Strength to comprehend with all the saints, you and me and everybody for 2,000 years. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, our inheritance, our blessing, what we have in Christ is so expansive. All Paul can do is throw adjectives. I want you to have strength to comprehend the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length. And and this love that surpasses knowledge and the fullness of God to fill you. He's throwing out everything he can to say this thing is beyond comprehension. And it is never ending the way you can explore it. You can never get to the end of it and say, well, I just discovered all of God and now I'm bored. You will go for eternity in this direction and never reach the end, the limits of this kingdom that we inherit, of these blessings that we have been given. And and here we sit tonight and think, (laughs) maybe all my struggles are because of a lack of a view of what God has done and given to me. Maybe these blessings are beyond belief and that's why I am where I am. Yeah, this land is huge. This inheritance, this blessing is huge. So those are chapters one through three. All that they are saying to you and I is, hey, let's enter into this and let's enter through Jesus. This is what he's given us and this is how he's given it to us. So now the rest of the book wants us to walk in it. So imagine the land analogy, right? He's letting us enter, but what good is it if I, if I remain in my one acre inside and never go beyond? And I just sit there and clip my nails and get manicures and pedicures and watch television and eat ice cream and just socialize with friends and a cup of tea and go to coffee shops. And what, what good is it if this is all I do? So Paul, what he does now is he turns a corner in chapter 4 and says, All right, enough. I could go on and on about this, but let's get to action. You need to use your life to walk into this land. What good are these blessings if we don't walk in them? What good is the land for Israel if they just say, All right, we'll camp by the Jordan River and we're never going to walk into this land. He told Joshua, Every place that the sole of your foot treads will be yours. It means you've got to go there. You've got to walk into it. And so you have all of this in Christ, but we have to live a life that presses in and says, I want more. So we're not saved by works, but we get 
more of the goodness of God when we live in accordance the way he wants us to live. That's what Paul's going to say now for chapters 4 and 5. He's going to tell us to walk five times. It's a key word. He's going to say walk five times. Let's look at the first one. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. That word therefore, by the way, just means in light of everything we just heard, this is my main point. I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This, these blessings beyond belief. That's our calling. To walk worthy of that calling. Whew. Now, this word worthy needs to be unpacked a tiny bit. It comes from a Greek word, axios. Which I'm telling you only to say... That it's a word that produces the image of balancing scales. I want you to walk, in other words, I want you to walk in balance. Worthy means in balance to the calling you've been called to. So, so if, if we've been called to these blessings and this inheritance and this amazing love of God, Paul is saying, then I want you to walk in a way. I want you to live in a way. I want you to make decisions in a way that balances this calling. In other words, if I think I'm here by accident and I don't really have much more purpose in life than to make sure I have enough to retire and, and just have pleasures and be as comfortable as I can be, then... Um, if that's all I think I'm called to, then I, there's not a lot that I need to balance that out. Just be comfortable. But, but if I've been called to this tremendous blessing that's deeper than history itself, that started before creation was founded, and that's been carried on by the blood of Christ, and that has been guaranteed to me through the indwelling presence of God himself in my life, if I have been called to this How do I walk in balance with that? When we are struggling in life, it often means that we are called to one thing, but living another. When I'm struggling in life, it often means that I've been called to this way up here, but I am living this way over there. I'm out of balance. Our struggle comes when the tipping scale is too far to one side. And all Paul is asking us to do is say, look, I'm not asking you to be worthy in the sense of perfection. I'm asking you to simply live in balance. That your decisions look like the calling on the other side. That they're in accordance to. In balance. So he's going to show us a bit of what that looks like. So... um, Let's go to verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. Again, we're skipping some things, but if you want more, the podcast will have every, it might be a three hour one, but it's fine. Um, I'll try to make my sentences less than 202 words, of course. Uh, 4, verse 17, he's going to bring up our second walk. Now, remember when Israel goes into the promised land and they begin to walk through it? There's these Canaanites and they're pagans and they don't really like Israel's God and they have this different way of doing things like child sacrifice and temple prostitution. And, and, and Yahweh's like, yeah, go into this land, but don't join that stuff. Destroy their temples and their pillars and their altars and their uh, idols. Destroy that stuff because that's not going to help you out. So walk into the land, but don't join the 
customs of the land. You're going to walk differently. That's what Paul's going to say here. He's borrowing the same imagery. 4 verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And when he's saying Gentile here, he's talking about the pagan culture. The ones that worship the the plethora of gods the Romans and Greeks worshipped. So don't walk as they do. In the futility of their minds. The emptiness of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And by the way, Paul spent three years in Ephesus, so he's being very sarcastic. Assuming you heard about him. Duh, you heard about him. I preached him to you. (laughs) Assuming you've heard about him or taught about him. Verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. That's what he's telling him to do. Walk in the new self. There's a new way to walk. Purchased by the blood of Christ. What does this new self look like? The end of 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Your true new self. Not the old corrupt self that did what it wants. The new self is made in the image and likeness of God. And that self has been told to have dominion over creation. Not to struggle against everyone and everything, but to reign as an inheritor, as a son and daughter of the king. That's the new self created to do that. Walk in that self. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. So the spirit comes and changes our mind. So it's no longer futile and darkened. But it now has strength to comprehend what we have in Christ. It says the blessings are believable if you're willing to start walking in this new self. Third, oh, so then he goes on to kind of give you some uh, practical examples of what the new self looks like. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, you have the third walk. Therefore, be imitators of God, 5 verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So walk in balance with your calling, walk in your new self, now walk in love. And the love is not an emotion. He's not asking us to just feel great about everybody. There's some people that are never going to make you feel great. No matter how godly you get. Love is the action he's calling us to. The action of which Christ did when he sacrificed himself as a fragrant offering. We are to make choices to demonstrate the worth of the humans around us. So you don't have to feel gushy about everybody. That's really impractical advice. Just change how you feel, man. What's that going to do? Act like everybody is worthy to be a daughter or son of the king. Fourth walk in verse 8. 5-8. 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Look. There's some dark deeds out there, but you are now called to do some light. So walk in a very different direction. Um, And then he gives a lot of examples there of... um, There's a lot of sexual temptation, and there's crude joking and filthiness. He names a lot of them. But you're to walk in light, not just to be like, I'm pure and holy, but you're supposed to walk in a way that's that's demonstrating that you're of a different land than everybody else. You serve a different king than everybody else, so that you're serving this king sheds light on what that king looks like and what people are serving, that their service is slavery, and that you're walking in freedom. That's the kind of light that you're supposed to be bearing. And then, um, that's the fourth, so the fifth. Walk is in verse 15. Look carefully then, 515, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Walk wise. Don't you have to have gray hair to be wise? No. It helps. It definitely helps to have experience. Actually, a lot of what wisdom really is is saying, I did it wrong, so now I know how to do it. So that's why gray hair helps you with wisdom, because you have more opportunity to make mistakes. <laughs> a little joking aside, it's kind of really true, though, but some joking aside, uh, wisdom, Paul is going to define here for us as this in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is wisdom? So the way that somebody drinks too much wine and changes how they behave, because the wine now influences them, they become slaves to its will, Paul is asking that we become, in the same way, intoxicated, influenced by the Holy Spirit. That he changes the way we think and speak and act and behave. That we become partners with the Spirit in life. That's wisdom. Never to come under the power of anything else. That's the wisdom Paul's calling us to. Because time's short and you don't have time to be a slave to anything. So walk. Some advice on the household, wives, husbands, children. And then chapter 6, verse 10 is where he brings his great finale. And this is where, if there weren't connections to Joshua already, chapter 6, verse 10 brings the final connection. So we have a leader, Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua. We have um, land, inheritance. We have blessing. We have um, unbelievers in the land. Don't walk like they do. Joshua fought battles, and now here's a battle. Joshua ends, uh, no, Ephesians ends with the great battle we're involved in. Now, Jesus has already fought the battle for us on the cross, okay? He's conquered the enemy by giving his blood. He's conquered the enemy. The battle is really done. But there are a bunch of rogue bad guys just kind of camping around, wreaking havoc. If we can't win the war, let's at least take down some of the people with us. And so they're scattered around. Just like Joshua had conquered the land, but there are scattered Canaanites around. God is one, but there's some scattered evil around. And the devil's trying to wreak havoc. And uh, uh, Ephesians is going to ask us to be careful here. So, chapters 1 through 3. Hey, look at the land. Enter it through Jesus. Chapters 4 through 5. Walk through it. This is how you appreciate the blessings and begin to move into the vastness of what God's given us. Start walking the way he wants you to walk. 
And now finally he's going to conclude all this by saying, look, 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 look. If you don't get by now that everything you need is here in Christ already right now available to you tonight. If you don't see that yet, you need to know this. Everything you need, that which you're longing for, that which you're feeling empty from, that which you're saying, if only one more of this or one more step there or one more promotion or one more paycheck, all those one mores, if you don't see that those mean nothing compared to everything that is given to us in Christ, you're in trouble. Paul wants us to know by now everything you need is here. It's here. It's within your grasp. It has been given. There's no hoop to jump through. There's no trick to perform. There's no verses to memorize. It is here. There is no better place for you to stand. There's no better inheritance for you to gain. There's no better blessing for you to receive than that which has already been given you in Christ. Everything you need is here. Therefore, look out for the devil's tactics. He cannot overcome us, but he can tell you, Maybe you need that over there. Or just one more of this. Or just an experiment with that. You can always come back to your inheritance or your blessings. So look what Paul says. Chapter 6 verse 10. Finally, in light of all this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In other words, you are strong because of him. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the devil has these schemes, these wiles, these tricks, these deceits. What does Paul want us to do against them? He wants us to stand. He didn't say jujitsu the devil. He didn't say out-argue, use your apologetic skills. He just said stand. Because if everything we need is here, you are in the best place you can be, so stand there. Don't move. That's the devil's one tactic. Get you to take one step out of this blessing beyond belief. And then you're vulnerable. So stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces, in, uh, forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God, second time he said this, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So, stand therefore. Okay, do you get it? He said stand a lot there. Everything you need is here. So, just stand. Now, Paul had a mention in verse 12 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Because, you know, I'm pretty good when the devil comes to me and tempts me. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, thank you. You go back in your smoke-infiltrated red tight suit, and I have no interest in that. Um, you smell. That, that's easy. But it's when flesh and blood try to pull me out of position... It's when people make you angry and you want to retaliate appropriately, in your mind appropriately. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, word for word. 
It's when your significant other is not communicating well and you want to make an example of how to communicate well. So you use really strong and loud language. It's when... <laughs> it never happens. It's when... It, it's when people say things about you and you feel prompted and your, your ego feels prompted to defend yourself and let the world know that they're liars and why and slander their reputation. Like, look at how they live. They can't be right anyways. Politics do this. Pol- <laughs> the world is all about not standing in the best place possible. It's about positioning and rivaling each other for the best place possible. The best place in their mind is the place where the other person is. If I eliminate them, move them, bump them over, then I'll be happy. Uh, Christ is saying, yeah, I moved myself. I died so that you can be in the best place possible, seated at the right hand of God with me. I moved for you so that you can have that place. So why are we, why are we bumping against one another? Why are we fighting against one another? Why are we making each other the enemy? This is the devil's most ingenious tactic is to cause us to see each other as the one who's in the way of our blessings. And Christ has told, Paul has told us for five chapters, everything you need is here. So stand and don't fall for those schemes. We need each other. We're brothers and sisters. And I need you to practice tonight that the, that lady next to you, she's a daughter of the king. And that that guy behind you that needs more deodorant is a daughter, <laughs> son of the king. Um, and that person that you every now and then keep daydreaming about how you're going to get even with, they too either are or maybe one day will be a child of the king. And what if we stop saying, but they're not believers, they deserve their fate, they're Canaanites, they deserve to be slaughtered. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But, 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 but what if we started not seeing them as they are now, but as they could be, if they saw the unbelievable blessings that you have? And we said, yeah, they may not be royalty yet, but I think they have the potential to be. So he goes on to describe the armor to wear. And these are just reminding us of where you already stand. So don't think so much about the literal armor. It's about the, their metaphors for these bigger things like truth and righteousness and salvation. 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Praying. Not always mentioned as one of the armors but definitely the overall What good is a soldier if he doesn't know what his commander wants? Praying is how you know what you're supposed to do. Praying at all times in the spirit. Um, And then Paul closes the letter. Everything you need is here. So stand. And I, I don't, I don't have a clue to be honest. I just, I love this book. So to me, it's just like, I see it. I don't know like how much of this is information overload and like, boom, what in the world has happened? I could have like been good 30 minutes ago and that would have been a great sermon. Uh, I don't know like where you are. If you're like, oh yeah, keep going, keep like, I don't know. I don't know. What I know is this though. What I know is that there is, there is an inheritance and a blessing so expansive, uh, the eternal God's inheritance, that's, that has no boundaries. As Paul said, I pray that you'd have strength to comprehend the depth, the breadth, the width, and the height of the love of God that surpasses knowledge and that you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. That happened. So what I need to learn then is I see myself as puny and insignificant and not enough but that's not how God sees me. So when I see myself that way, 
and I'm struggling against life, I keep telling myself more, more. To be more spiritual means to add more things. And so I think that by beating my brain into the Bible and by praying till I don't even know how to talk to humans anymore and by eating so much communion that I get a gluten disease or by, I'm being very, like, exaggerating, of course. But if, if, if my mentality is more, 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 then I've lost chapter 2, verse 8, which says we are saved by grace and not works. And I've lost the fact that Jesus is the Joshua who's given us the land. And I'm trying to earn it. And I'm trying to gain the blessings. And I'm striving and working. I've lost it. But if I understand everything, the blessings beyond belief, and the vastness of what is there before us, and that I am seated at the right hand and a son and daughter of the king, when I see that, I realize everything I need is already here. So the spiritual life is not about addition. It's about subtraction. And that I will be healthier and I will receive more of the blessings of God when I offload a bunch of the stuff that I have added into my life. Trying to make myself happier, trying to make myself more significant, trying to make my little small self look a little bit bigger. When I offload all these gimmicks and all these things that I have packed onto myself, then there will be room enough for me to grow into and receive these enormous expansive blessings. The spiritual life is not about adding more. It's about getting rid of the too much we have so that we can tap into what God has already given. It's already here. We're not receiving because we've clogged the line with our stuff and our emotional baggage and our small thoughts. Sounds easy, but it's often those people that are slandering you that you want to jump out of position and go get. It's it's when they slander and you stand firm, that's loss. Because, oh my goodness, it hurts when you know how much you can get them back. You know the right thing to say. You have blackmail on them. But to let that go is loss. That's subtraction. You know, when you don't understand the circumstances and you have the ability to take charge and to be in control, but you know it may not be the right thing to do, and you let go and say, I'm just going to trust that God's going to make this work out. I'm going to trust the people around me to meet my needs. That's loss. But you're gaining the blessings in Christ. Loss isn't easy. It's pain, it's suffering, it's learning how to limp. It's realizing that you are Jacob, become Israel, because you no longer have a hip you can walk on. You wrestled with God and thought it was about winning, but it was in losing that you learned that you won. That is the spiritual life. I grow and I advance into the blessings and the inheritance, and I become more like a son of the king when I... I lose the baggage I hold on to when I let go of myself, when I follow. See, how did Jesus lead us into the land? By giving his life. And he's calling us to the same pattern. This is how you get in. This is how you go further. The more you give up, the deeper you will go. And you can never outgive God, so you're never going to go outside. You're just going to keep on going deeper and deeper the more we give And so we have the wonderful opportunity now to reflect upon what Christ has done with the physical symbols of communion. 
And this, brothers and sisters, is not just a thank you for what you did. It's also the invitation to, are you going to go there with me too? We've been seated. We've been raised up, ascended to the throne. But the weird thing in the Bible is that the way up is down. You've got to go down before you can go up. Are we willing that's, I think, often why we struggle, because we don't believe that blessings can come out of loss. Let's pray.